0: Thank you, Joyful Sound. Well, they filled up the whole section over there, didn't they? Good for you. Thank you for being here this evening, for leading us in worship. Sermon this evening is along the lines of suffering, and Jesus' response to it kind of following up on what we talked about this morning, because what I want you to see in this passage in Luke 7, 11 through 17, where Jesus raises a widow's son I want you to see his response to suffering. And when you see Jesus' response, if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. So you know as well how the Father would respond to suffering and sadness. It's uh, the widow of Nain. So my my whole life, I've called it the widow of Nain, N-A-I-N. I finally looked it up in a Bible dictionary, and several times it says... Nain, not Nain, so it's the widow of Nain. I'll try to remember that as I speak this evening. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him as he approached the town gate. A dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, And a large crowd from the town was with her, and when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. And he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the man sat up and began to talk. Can you imagine? That'd be like going over to Bowen Donaldson and seeing someone pop up in a coffin. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. In a small town called what? Nain. Nain. That's right. Let's bow together. Father, when we read this passage and how Jesus had compassion on a a widow woman because of the loss of a son, we see in graphic detail and color how you respond to us when we're hurting. So help us to cast ourselves on you. Cast our cares upon you, for we know you care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I looked at the map in the back of my Bible, and the obscure Galilean village called Nain is located about five miles southeast of Nazareth. The circumstances, I'm afraid, are familiar a funeral procession is winding its way through the city gates moving toward the graveyard outside the village. Cemeteries were always located outside the city gates because anything dead is considered unclean by the Jew. And so graveyards, cemeteries, everything, crucifixions are outside the city gates. The young man had probably been dead only for a short while. There was no embalming. You remember. They just anoint bodies with some some spices, some fragrances, but there's no embalming, so burial has to follow death pretty quickly. And Jesus and his followers meet an oncoming procession and probably stop beside the road, much as we might pull over to the side of the road when we meet a funeral coach, followed by a long line of cars with their headlights on. You just, out of respect, pull over to the side. And that's what Jesus and his followers did. The procession at Nain is led by a band of mourners playing flutes and cymbals. There had frenzied cries of grief or familiar sounds in the village because the life expectancy in Jesus' day was short. Infant mortality rate was high, and the practice of medicine was primitive. And you put all those things together, and people just didn't live very long. And this widow was probably spending what little money she had left to give her only son. A decent burial but there's something about this procession that makes it even more sad Luke tells us why in verse 12 a dead person was being carried the only son of his mother and she was a widow in Jesus day widows were the most vulnerable people in society they had no legal standing Women and slaves, believe it or not, were grouped together. They had no rights at all in Jesus' day. A husband's estate, if he had one, when he passed, did not go to his wife. It went to his eldest son. The widow was not in the line of inheritance, completely dependent upon the generosity of her children, especially her firstborn son. And so for the widow of Nain, her son's death meant not only sorrow and grief at the loss but also destitution and dependence on others upon charity for her very survival. It was pitiful, and Jesus sensed it immediately. And you know, either personally or through someone you love, you have experienced a suffering that you can't explain. Sometimes we bring sorrow upon ourselves by our own sinful acts selfish attitudes, but then there's suffering that seems unfair or unjust, like we talked about this morning, a tornado that rips through a countryside, destroying everything in its path, a disease that strikes a person in the prime of life, shattering all the hopes and dreams of tomorrow. And somebody was just sharing with me before the service um, the death of the pastor of First Baptist Church, Springfield, Georgia, in an auto accident uh, in recent days. I know that church is grief-stricken, and wondering and asking why, our pastor. Why do these things happen? Why is life like that? I, I can't just attribute it all to the will of God like some people do. Because Jesus said that it's never his father's will that one of his children should suffer. But I also know that there is a freedom In, in human will, that unexpectedly hardship can strike any one of us anytime. And such suffering confronted Jesus throughout his ministry in the pleas of a leper and the cry of a blind beggar and the sickness of the daughter of Jairus or a centurion slave. And now here in this little village of Naon. He's facing it again. A widow is grieving and she's suffering and she's asking, why me, God? That age-old question, why now? Why me? Why, God? Questions similar to the ones that his own mother will ask one day at the foot of the cross. Also, a widow who's losing her firstborn son. So this portrait at Nain sounds familiar to us, but as Luke paints it. It's not just a picture of suffering and grief, but it's also a a picture of how God responds to that suffering. God does not remain silent in the midst of our heartache. In verse 13, there's a word here I want you to see. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Some translations say he had compassion on her. And that translation doesn't do the word justice either. The, The Greek word is and, and that Greek word splach, splachno or splachnizomai refers to the churning of the stomach. Have you ever been so upset or so emotional that it felt like your stomach was flip-flopping, just turning over? That's what this word means. It means Jesus had so much compassion on this woman that his stomach turned inside out. In his innermost parts, it literally wrenched his insides. So that's the answer I want you to think of when someone says to you that God is remote and distant from us, unmoved by our pain and sorrow. That's not so. The picture of Jesus when he confronts human suffering is one where his his insides flip over because he hurts so much. those he cares about. On the wall of a dormitory at the University of Glasgow in Scotland there hangs a plaque reading to the memory of Dr. John Smith who died in West Africa in 1890. It's a real simple inscription but the story that lies behind it is not. John Smith who died in West Africa in 1890 was a physician who went to minister in a remote section of West Africa And he worked tirelessly, sort of like Lottie Moon did in China. He worked in West Africa tirelessly for 10 years, and his health failed. His physicians told him he needed to go home to Scotland to recuperate, or he would be dead within six months. So he reluctantly agreed to leave. And a few of the tribe's people, to whom he had brought the wonders of modern medicine and the love of Christ, rode him out to the waiting ship that he was going to board to head back to Scotland. As he was about to board, he looked on the shore for his final glimpse of Africa, and he saw on the shoreline the long lines of faces of people stretching out for what seemed to be miles along the beach. And he heard them crying out, please come back. Please come back. And he never got on the ship. Instead, he had the natives turn him around and row him back to shore, and three months later, he was dead. So deep and self-sacrificing was his compassion that he placed the needs of those people ahead of his own. But here's the miracle of it. No matter how compassionate we can be toward each other, it's no comparison to how God feels about us, to his compassion for us it exceeds anything you and I can imagine. He hears our cries even when we can't put them into words, even when the groanings are too deep for utterance the Holy Spirit gives us. Whenever and wherever you find human suffering you also find the God of compassion grieving in ways that you cannot imagine. Luke's word picture Gives its final touch when the scene reveals God's power at work in Jesus. Luke says, Jesus touched the funeral buyer on which the man had been laid. That was something that a Jew never did because touching a coffin where a dead man was would render you unclean by coming into contact with it. But so what? The man wouldn't be dead long. Miraculously, he was restored to life, and the people who saw the miracle, I'm sure, were reminded from their scripture, their Old Testament, where Elijah brought the son of the widow of Zarephath back to life. Jesus gave the son back to his mother, just as Elijah had done for the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings 17. And they immediately proclaimed Jesus a prophet, probably thinking of Elijah, through whom God would reveal himself to his people. And that final brush stroke completes the picture. And what a glorious scene of God's power it is. Confronted by human suffering, Jesus is moved with compassion and he responds by taking away the pain and bringing the man back to life and replacing grief with joy. And that's wonderful. But that's where I struggle. Because it's at this point that this picture diverges from our own picture. Because in our own suffering, even when we pray with sincere faith, the circumstances often remain the same. The source of pain is not miraculously removed by a touch of the Lord. And the tornado's destruction is not reversed and the disease is not miraculously cured. And the suffering remains, and our experience of life seems different from that, from the widow of Nain. Jesus doesn't always touch our situation and make the pain disappear and everything come out all right again, does he? It doesn't always happen like that. And so there is and always will be for me a mystery in that difference that I cannot fathom. The ways of God are not fully discernible by human reason and logic. And C.S. Lewis said in his book Mere Christianity that all of our intelligence combined is not a drop in the ocean to what God has, what he brings to bear. And so when we don't understand something, maybe it's because we simply cannot understand, because we're incapable Our finite human minds cannot wrap around the ways of God. My own experience is that many times God's compassion is made known to us not by taking away the circumstances that lead to our suffering, but by giving us faith and hope even in the midst of that suffering. My hope and faith is in God's power to change me, so that I can be a person of faith in spite of pain or sorrow. When we pray and pray for a situation and it doesn't change, maybe somehow we change. And that's the miracle that God wanted to bring about all along. One of my first funerals in my last church in South Carolina was for a woman named Elaine Simmons. She was a woman of strong faith, and cheerful and wise and full of life and love, but stricken with cancer. And I learned shortly after coming to South Carolina that she had had it for several years and it was in its final stages. And for the year that I knew her, I saw her suffer at the hospital in Florence, South Carolina, and then in her bed at home when they couldn't do anything more for her. And family and friends came around and comforted and consoled her as best they could. And I visited as often as possible. And we talked and prayed and cried together. And about one thing all of Elaine's friends could agree on each time we visited her was that instead of us encouraging her, she was the one who encouraged us. She was the one who strengthened us. We were there to minister to her, but by her faith, we were the ones being ministered to by her caring and her hope and her faith. After about six months, the disease had its way and the fight was over and I was present when she uttered her final words and I'll never forget them. I can remember them verbatim. I can remember the bedroom in her house and the way it looked. It's just one of those scenes that's etched Indelibly in my mind, her last words were, "The doors are almost open. The doors are almost open. Jesus, spectacular!" And then she closed her eyes. Three and four, three or four of us, after a little while, went outside and were standing in her front yard about eleven thirty that night. And one of her close friends said, well, Elaine has finally won. And I thought about that for a little bit. She had, in some miraculous, mysterious way, made possible by faith. All of us felt the compassion of God to be real to us and to Elaine Simmons that night. We saw the power of God at work as he opened up the doors of heaven and escorted Elaine Simmons gently home. Those of you who are hurting this evening here or by television, I want you to be aware of this, that God who is closer to you than a brother cares for you and hurts with you, so much so that it twists his insides That's the nature of his love, and that's the compassion of Christ. His power is also real and available, and occasionally he will miraculously remove the whole source of pain. But more often than not, he will give you the strength to live through it and to grow through it and to trust in him through it. That's how I've come to terms with suffering in my own life and in the world God's compassion and power are real. And when we suffer, he hurts with us. And his power is poured out, sometimes on the person we pray for, but more often than not, on us. And that power enables us to bear it. He hurts with us. And I just wanted you to know from this passage of the widow of Nain that when Jesus saw somebody suffering, it turned his gut upside down. And when you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. Let's bow together. God, sometimes I hear people say that you wound this world up like a clock and then you set back to watch it tick and never have gotten involved and never have really cared but have remained aloof, removed and distant from life and from suffering in this world. And yet we see so clearly in this encounter between Jesus and this woman who has lost a husband and now loses her only son and faces complete destitution how Jesus responded. And what really catches my eye is not that he healed the man brought him back to life so much so as the amount of compassion that he felt in this tragic situation. God, we know you love us. We know you hurt with us. I guess sometimes we just don't feel it. But we're going to base our faith on the fact of what we know about you. And having done so, let our feelings follow. We love you and we place our faith in you no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen.